0: So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me uh, First 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and it's so interesting. We've been kind of in a summer, summer series uh, where I've done just some standalone messages, just preached some burdens of mine or, or some things that, that, that God has laid on my heart, whether it's through life journaling, my personal time, or whatever. And so it, it's so interesting to me that, that we have just landed in 1 in Thessalonians and uh, I normally preach through books and so maybe that's where this comes from but we've been in 1 Thessalonians and we looked at just a place of encouragement we've looked today we're going to look at just a place of faithfulness that the local church should be a place of of relationships it should be a place of faithfulness in other words this my faithfulness should encourage you and your faithfulness should encourage me in other words this that in the local church we should have relationships and we had relationships with each other in other words we don't worship as strangers but we worship with relationships we worship with friends and our testimonies our life encourages one another I mean there's something about someone's life when they go through some difficult times in life and they just remain faithful right uh they just they just stay faithful they're just the fact is we can find people in scripture we can we can look at their lives and their lives encourages there's job's life i meant job like lost everything and uh and job was just one of those guys he just he just stayed faithful uh to god even through the most difficult trying circumstances there's daniel Daniel was born in a time when there was great political unrest in, in, in their society and their culture much like today and he was born into that time and and things were challenging and things were difficult but Daniel stayed faithful he had a group of friends around him his friends encouraged him he encouraged them and his life can encourage us there, there's some women of scripture that that they just stayed faithful in difficult circumstances that are encouraging to us there was there's Ruth of uh, in scripture that were her life was just a life of great faithfulness and difficult circumstances. And she had people around her that encouraged her. There's Esther. It said of Esther that, that for such a time as this, she was born. In other words, God had a purpose and a plan for her life, the same that he does for us. And, yet, and, and, and Esther stayed faithful through difficult circumstances with, with people around her. So today, I, I just want to talk to you about this issue of faithfulness and how we encourage one another. Because there's something about someone that's able to walk through difficulty, and they just stay faithful. Paul has written the book of First and Second Thessalonians. We've been in 1 Thessalonians. We'll continue in 1 Thessalonians today in chapter 3. And so Paul has gone through a difficult time. He planted a church there in Thessalonica. Uh, he plants the church. The church went some gr- through some problems. Uh, they, were, they were winning some very influential men and women to the Lord. The, the, the politics and the government was not happy of that day, and as a result, he was persecuted and all of these other things. So Paul made a decision that he was going to go to Athens. Athens is a little bit over 100 miles from Thessalonica, and so he makes a decision for the good of the church, for the good of the community, he's going he's to go to Athens. And so Paul is encouraged uh, by the people there at Thessalonica. And so I, I want to give you three things before we take of the Lord's Supper this, this morning together as a chur- church family. I want to give you three factors that, that allowed that allowed Paul to walk through difficult circumstances and, and, uh, and continue faithfulness. I want to give you three things that's important for every one of us as believers, and some of this just comes out of a burden of mine for so many Christians, that, that I'm, I'm just so concerned that so many Christians don't have really deep Christian friends. In other words, this is as good as it gets for most believers uh, a worship service or a time together, but they, but they really don't have anyone around them that they're connected to that can encourage them, that are believers and share scripture with them and encourage them. So I want to give you three things. I want to give you three things that every one of us needs if we're going to r- remain faithful through difficult times. The first one is this. We need people around us that it can encourage us. We need people around us that encourage us. We need people around us that we have relationships with. We need people around us that love us and know us and and we have a relationship with, and they encourage us. I mean, it, it seems like our world, right? Our world is getting more and more negative. We may be land of the free, but we're becoming land of the complainers, right? I mean, all you have to do is look at social media and you realize that, you know what, we are becoming just a land of complainers and it seems like everybody's so negative and it seems like everybody complains about everyone and everything, every one of us. As believers, we need people around us that will encourage us. This is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. He writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. So he's about 100 miles away. This distance is very, very important to understand uh, the book of, of 1 Thessalonians. And so he, he's away. And so we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gos- gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort. Exhort is just another way to say encourage, to encourage you in your faith. In other words, you know what Paul's fighting? Paul's fighting the distance thing. When when a loved one, when a friend, when someone you know goes through difficulty and there's distance between you, doesn't it intensify the difficulty? Doesn't it make things a little bit more difficult because you just want to be there with them, right? See, this is Paul. He's over 100 miles away, and he's wondering. He's wondering what's happening to the church and what has happened to the church since he's left. I'll never forget a few years back when, when my dad, my dad went, through, uh, when he went through bladder cancer. And I, r- I remember that period and that difficulty, and, and we're, we were fighting like the distance thing. And, and I, ju- I just wanted to be with him. I just wanted to, I w- I wanted to be with my family. And so I remember when he went through test after test, and he went through some chemo, and then at the end of chemo, uh, they, did, they did a biopsy. And so I, I knew. I knew when the, when, when, when the biopsy was taken and I knew when the results were due. And I still remember on that day that, that I, I kept my cell phone on and I kept my cell phone with me and every meeting, every conversation I had, I would just tell people, I said, listen, if I get a phone call, I, I got to interrupt this. I, I got to know. I, I still know. I still remember what it was like. I, it's like I had that conversation yesterday when my, my dad called and, and let me know he got his results and he had like, he like had two years to live. I remember that. I remember what it was like with waiting. I remember what it was like to have distance, and it seems to intensify the emotions or the difficulty. I mean, isn't it pretty stressful when you're waiting for results, when you're waiting for something? Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe, you know what, maybe you say, you know what, that's me, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a a doctor's report. I'm waiting for a test to come back. Maybe you're waiting for an answer God, Maybe you're waiting for God to answer a prayer request. Maybe you're waiting for an answer from a loved one, or a relationship. And maybe you're in that period of waiting. Isn't it true that sometimes, fact is maybe not sometimes, maybe all the time. We just want to know. And there's something about that period of waiting when we're waiting for an answer. It can seem like, listen, I'm telling you. I had people around me that could encourage me. I had believers around me, some that had walked through this situation that I was walking through with my dad that could encourage me and to support me. See, Paul understood the anxiety that comes from waiting for an answer, and he's, he's driven to Athens because of persecution, and he's, he's hundreds of miles away, and times are different in their days. They had They had no Internet. They had no cell phones. They had no phones. They had no blogs. They had they didn't have facebook they didn't have websites i mean he couldn't go like on the church's website and try to get a report and see what's going on i mean paul had to have questions he had to have questions what has happened to the church that i planted are they are they were they persecuted were they tortured or they have they disbanded are they still meeting are they growing are they thriving what's going on and and so as a result paul decides you know what i'm sending timothy I'm sending Timothy. That's why he made that statement. He says, I alone are going to stay in Athens. I've made the decision to be alone. See, see, a lot is written about Paul and Timothy's relationship. Everybody, listen, everybody needs a Timothy in their life. Everybody needs someone in their life that can speak truth in their life and to encourage them. Timothy was that guy for Paul. And Paul makes the decision, you know what? I'm going to stay in Athens, and I'm sending Timothy to to Thessalonica to, to, to get the answer to find out. It's interesting to me why he sent Timothy. Timothy had a relationship with the people in Thessalonica. See, Timothy was there with Paul when Paul planted that church. Timothy had credentials with them, uh, credibility. Timothy, they knew Timothy. They had a relationship with Timothy. Listen, Paul did not send a stranger to check on them. He sent someone that had a relationship with them. And there's, there's times as a pastor. In fact, as all of our pastors here at Fellowship of the Rockies have experienced this at some time or another, when someone's either emailed us, texted us, or, or stopped us in the lobby, and they said, you know what, we have a we have a loved one in the hospital. Would you go visit them? Would you go and share scripture with them? Would you witness to them? True story, many years ago, the church was young, and we were four or five years old, and and someone stopped me in, in the foyer and said, said, would you go to Parkview Hospital, and would you visit my, my mother? Her mother was elderly, but she wasn't terminal, and said, would you go visit my mother in Parkview? You've never met her, but nobody will go from her church. An no old pastor will go. Would you just go and, and, and pray for her? And listen, let me just tell you, as a pastor, Those are awkward moments. It's awkward for us because we're introducing ourselves for the very first time to someone in a hospital bed, and you know what? It's it's awkward to them. This visit was really awkward. Uh, She was not prepared for my visit. She was not alerted that a pastor would be coming to pray for you, and so I still remember. She was elderly. I walked in the room, and I leaned over her bed, and I said, I called her name, and I says, I'm Pastor Charlie from Fellowship the Rockies. I am here to pray for you. And she imid- immediately got agitated, and she immediately—it it was hard for me to like calm her down. And and I could tell her 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 heart rate—you could see the the monitor—and all of a sudden, uh, some some alarm went off, and soon after that, a nurse comes into the office, and I'm sorry—not the office—the hospital room, and and so I I go stand outside, and so a few minutes later, the nurse comes out and said, Pastor Charlie, I just want you to know she's okay. I'm like, thank the Lord that you know. She said she is very, very confused though because no one would come to visit her from her church and so she thought you were here to give last rites. I'm telling you. I'm I'm telling you. People do not need a stranger to share scripture with them. They need a shoulder from a friend. They need a friend who's in relationship with them that can share Scripture. I'm telling you, just a moment of real transparency just out of a burden. Sometimes I'm so burdened by the majority of Christians that for them this is as good as it gets for a Christian community worshiping with hundreds of people that they really don't know. They really don't have any relationship with. And we have conversation after conversation with people. They go through difficult times and and we as pastors, we do the best we can to minister to them and help them. But what they they need, they need a life group. They need people that can speak truth into their life and can encourage them and build relationships with them. It's just the importance of a life group. In fact, is Paul used the term, he, he, he said exhort, that we're to exhort. That means to encourage. In fact, is the word exhort comes from the Greek word paraclete, which means this, to come alongside of. We need people that can come alongside of us. I mean, this word paraclete was not only used for the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us, but it's used about the church. It's used about people that should come alongside of us. Listen, for us, life groups is a, is a community that comes alongside of us during difficult times that can encourage us and speak truth into our life. Uh, immediately after the, the early service, the 9 o'clock service, I had a man that was, was in his, his late 70s, and he's been in church like all of his life, and he came running up to me, and he says, he says, oh, Charlie, he says, talk about life groups as much as you can. I've been a believer all of these years, and this is the first time at Fellowship the Rockies. This is the first time I've ever been in a life group. And then he said, this is the only way to fly. He goes, this is the only way to fly through life is with a life group. He says, you know what? We text message each other. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We have relationships with one another. When we go through struggles, when we go through pain, we know we have this group. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We pray together. He says, would you just tell people this is the only way to fly in life? I'm telling you, we were designed to have relationships. It's such a burden of mine. That when you go through difficulty, when you go through pain, do you have any Christians around you that can share scripture, can encourage, can exhort, can help you? And there's so many, there's so many funerals that I've done. And it's so encouraging to me when I stand up to to preach a funeral message and there's two or three life groups in the room and they're all they're all sitting together. It's encouraging to the family. See, funerals are kind of awkward for a lot of people. They're awkward for all of us. What do you say? You know what? Just you being there's enough. Just you it's it's the ministry of presence. It's just you being there. Just them knowing that you know what? I'm not in this alone. Listen, I'm telling you. It's them just knowing that they're not in this alone. I think a great model in life would be um, try to go to every wedding you're invited to, but never, 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 never miss a funeral. It brings encouragement to the family. It helps us to know. See, see I, s- I still will never forget someone in our church wrote down the date in which my, my father had, had passed away, and, they, and then they wrote down the date of his funeral that I, that I did. On the one-year anniversary, this individual sent me a, a card and said, I know today must be a tough day for you, and I'm praying for you. See, a lot of th- times we think it's the big stuff. It's the little stuff. Life groups is what gives us that community to encourage one another. I mean, when when, when when, Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, and Jesus was delayed. It took him, took him a few days, and he finally gets there, and he had, he had passed away, and, and, and they looked at him. And they said, if, if you had been here, if you would just been here, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, in other words, we, when we hurt, we want people around us that, that we know that aren't strangers that can share Scripture and encourage us. And you may come week in and week out, but let me just press in a little bit more. Are you involved in a life group where you're building relationships with people and developing community? Because as church continues to get larger, it can get smaller at the same time and in these communities of, of life group. I mean, Jesus is the one that said, where two or more are gathered, I'm I'm there in the midst of them. Something happens in living rooms. Something happens in life groups. I mean, Solomon wrote about this issue. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4:1. Here's what he here, here's what he wrote. He says, "Again, I saw all the oppression that are, that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed." And then you can almost feel his emotion. And they had no one. They had no one to comfort them. They had no one to encourage them. And on the side of their oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them. In other words, you could tell Solomon, Solomon had this burden, Solomon had this issue because for us it is, so, it, is so, it is so concerning to us when believers go through difficult times and it's like there's nobody around them. Solomon goes on in verse 9 and he says, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the first thing we need, if we're going to remain faithful, we need people around us that can encourage us. The second thing is this. We need people who will strengthen us. We need people who are positive. We need people who will encourage us. But you know what? We also need people who will, who will strengthen us. That's what Solomon's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about First Thessalonians 3, verse, verse 3. Here's what the Scripture says. He says that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. In other words, Paul pre- prepared them. When they planted that church, Paul told them opposition is coming. It's going to come from from the government, and it's going to come from from the adversary, Satan. And he goes on, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. In other words, Paul was telling them, in advance, guess what? We're going to go through problems. In advance, guess what? We're going to go through persecution. In advance, because listen, Satan does not give up ground easily every time a church takes more ground opposition comes it always happens that's what scripture says and paul was preparing them for that verse 5 he goes on and he says for this reason when i could bear it no longer in other words I, i had to know i sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter he's talking about satan had tempted you and our labor uh would be in vain I mean, Paul begins talking about Satan. He begins talking about the ad- adversary. Fact is, Simon Peter talked about him. First Peter chapter five verse eight, eight. He says, "Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." In other words, this, Simon Peter was saying, when you go through these challenges, you need to remember, you're not in this alone. You see, that's what life groups do. That's what life groups help you and I to understand. You're not the only one to face these challenges. You're not the only one to go through these difficulties. You're not the only one to walk through this. God will place people in your life group that have gone through some of the same situations that you've gone through so that they can encourage you. And so pa- Simon, or so Paul is talking about this, this issue. And he's, he's preparing them in advance. Uh, many years ago, when I, when, I did a, when I did a lot of weddings, now with four services, I, 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 don't, it, I don't have the opportunity to do as many weddings as I once did. And, and so I had this young couple. I was doing a wedding for a young couple. And, and so I, I had them in my office. We are doing premarital counseling. But it did no good uh, because, like, they were young and they were in love. And um, I don't even think they even knew I was ever in the room they just kept looking at each other all they wanted to talk about is how we met and our first date and all that other stuff and so like they, it was it was like it was just so frustrating it was so hard just to get them to listen to me and so so we we're, we're at the we're at the wedding and the groom and I were standing in that room and they're they're like seating the moms and so we're about ready to go out and I glance over at the groom and the groom has, like lost all of his color i mean this guy is pale he's no longer breathing like he should be and i'm like i'm like are you okay you need to t- just just breathe. Are you okay? Because honestly, I've had in weddings, I've had way more grooms that just passed out than brides. I, and this is just my personal opinion. I think the reason for that that the groom just finally realizes in front of everybody. Oh no, I'm getting married. I mean, the the bride. You know what? You guys, you guys have been dreaming about that like your whole life. You've been playing dr- wedding and all this other stuff, and the groom just realized that. And so we're over there, and I'm like, just breathe. And so and he goes I says are you okay and he says pastor if I can just get through the next 30 minutes it's going to be smooth sailing from here (laughs) he says I mean I mean what could go wrong I mean I I get to spend 24 7 with her for the rest of my life if I can get through that wedding I'm not going to have another problem in life what would you have told him? <laughs> I'm like, buddy, you need a life group. You need a life group, and you need to get with some folks that have been married for a while that can speak truth into your life and snap you out of this. You need to be prepared for the challenges that are going to come. I mean, Karen and I, when we were first married, we we had a newlywed. We were in a newlywed life group. The Papools led that. They were married over 30 years. They spooked, uh, They spooked, They spooked us. They did. They spoke (laughs) truth into our life. We needed them, right? And some of the truth they spoke in our life, we didn't like at all, but we needed it. And we respected them because we had a relationship with them. And they spoke truth into our life, and our marriage was much better because of the papuls. I'm telling you, we need people in our life. Jesus told the parable of the sower and says, if seed is on a shallow soil... That when trouble comes, when the sun comes, it will scorch, it will wither and die. Listen, I'm telling you, if you remain a shallow Christian to where you never connect and you never connect with others, when difficulty comes, when problems come, guess what? You will not stay faithful. We need each other. And so what what Paul's talking about is we, we need people that will encourage us. We need people that will strengthen us. And the last thing, we need people that will comfort us. We need people that will give us comfort with the same comfort that they receive from God, is what what Paul said in Corinthians. But here's what he said about this issue of comfort. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith, for we now live if we are standing fast in the Lord. Can you imagine what this early church felt when they realized they were an encouragement to Paul? Isn't it something when you realize you, can act, you, you actually encourage someone? You actually minister to someone? I mean, there's something powerful about that, right? When you realize, guess what? I can encourage someone and other people encourage me. I mean, when you when you look at this issue, you just realize that that it's so powerful when you realize that God has created us for God has created us for community. And God has created us to minister and to have relationships with, with one another. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, this is the three stages of life. One time, you know what, one day I'm going to preach this. These are the three stages of life. There's those, those, those times in life, right? The times of life when, like, you're on top of the world. That's when you mount up with wings like eagles, and, and that's a celebration of life, and you're, you're like, on, on top of the world. But then there's other times of the world, that life, that you go, just go through the routine. They shall run and, and not be weary. And then there's other times of life that, you know, the difficulty of life where it's like all you can do is walk. And all you can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other so you do not grow faint. And Paul says, that is when we need. That is when it's so important that we have community. It's important in all phases. It's important in the celebration. Listen, a celebration is not a celebration without friends around us, right? A party is not a party until relationships, people show up. And sometimes we need people around us for the celebrations. We need people around us for the routine of life, just the daily routine of life. Oh, and guess what? And we need people around us when all we can do is just walk so we do not grow faint. That's the power of community. That's the power of life groups. Fact is, communion the Lord's Supper is the picture of that. As our servers get ready and, and prepare the elements and begin to pass them out. See, communion, Lord's Supper, is simply the picture of faithfulness. I mean, when we we gather and we gather together, just the picture that of Jesus Christ's faithfulness that he went to the cross to pay for our sins and so that we can have forgiveness. And I know this weekend it's, it's what we call family weekend and we have a lot of young children in the congregation with us. And adults, let me just tell you, it, it's, it's okay and it's completely appropriate for as we walk through this, for you just to lean over to them and teach them and explain to them what we're doing. See, this is the time when the church comes to the, to the table. And even though we don't actually physically come to a table, we just stay where we're seated. But it's the picture of unity. It's the picture of community. It's the picture that we have relationships. We can look around the room and see all the people, and we can realize, you know what? We're not alone. We're not alone. We're not alone. So Paul tells us before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that we're to examine our life. As the plates and the elements are being passed, there's two cups, one on top of the other. You just take both cups off the plate, pass it to the person next to you, and then just a few minutes. We're going to take together as a church family, which is just a picture. Again, the picture of unity, and that we're in relationship together and that we encourage one another. So would you just sit before the Lord and examine your life, before we take of the bread, before we take of the juice. before we take of the bread the apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11 and it's just so interesting about communion that we do this in unity we do this in community that the church gathers and the church takes of the bread and takes of the juice. And we remember, we remember the, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that went to the cross on our behalf. It's interesting to me that we, we walk through this these passages in 1 Thessalonians 3. And it said we all need someone around us. We need people that encourage the support, and comfort. Aren't you glad that we have a God that encourages us? Aren't you glad that we have a God that doesn't remind us of our failures, doesn't remind us of our sins? Aren't you glad that we have a God that says that I will take your sins and I will put them behind me, never to look on them again? I will take your sins and I will cast them as far as the east is from the west. That I will totally and I will completely forgive you. And we encourage one another with those words. And so here's what here's what Paul writes: He says, For I I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, at his lowest moment, he stayed faithful. And he took breath. And when he had given things, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Just do this in, in remembrance of me. And so we, we remember. We remember that we are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved in Christ. The fact is, in Christ, we are perfect. We are complete. We are lacking nothing. In Christ, we have total forgiveness and freedom. He is not holding a sin over your head. He is not trying to get even with you. That's what communion is about. It's about us remembering that. Before we take of the bread, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we just thank you that we can just come to this moment and take of the bread with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a local body. And may we be encouraged, not only by you, but may we be encouraged by the people around us of their faithfulness, of their faithfulness. So Father, we thank you that because of your sacrifice, we're totally and completely forgiven for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Scripture goes on and says, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's part of our testimony. This is a part of who we are. And we encourage each other just to stay faithful. Just to follow him. And that by his blood we are totally and we are completely forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again. Father, we thank you for the spilling of your blood on the cross. Father, we thank you that every sin is covered. And we are totally and completely forgiven. Father, may we live lives like that. May we be willing to do life as believers in community, in relationship. Father, would you give us strong life groups, strong relationships as we encourage one another, as we support one another, as we comfort one another. For this is what you've called us to do. This is what the local body looks like. And so, Father, we thank you that we can come to the table in relationship with one another and in a relationship with you. And we are totally and completely forgiven. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? you bow your heads with me and close your eyes let me just ask you this morning what is God saying to you what is God saying to you as a result of this message and what is your next step because every one of us in this room has a next step maybe you need to accept him and enter into a relationship with him maybe you've done that but you've never followed through in believers baptism and maybe you need to do that maybe that's your next step maybe you're a believer what is your next step Do you need to step into community? Do you need to experience everything that God has for you in this Christian life? And step deeper into community.